It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Veth. And as always, I'm joined by Andrew Flint. Andrew, you've been on the road quite a bit from what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, and no, I've been uh, jetting around a glamorous lifestyle out here. Um, just come back from Saransk and setting off again on Sunday for what will be my biggest road trip yet. But yeah, a lot of traveling around, seeing the World Cup host cities. So yeah, it's all been fun. Yeah, there's been some fantastic content from you on footballgrad.com on Saransk. Um, really enjoyed seeing those pictures. I think Saransk, the stadium, etc., is pretty much ready. And we'll, we'll get to talk about this in just a moment. And before we talk about all of this, I want to introduce the second guest. Tim, I feel really separated from you these days. You know, I'm in Europe, you're in Vancouver, West Coast. We're <laughs> separated by nine hours. How is it going over there? Well, the city is going well. My life is not going great because since the last time we talked, Spartak lost a very good chance to win any cup. They lost the chance of competing for, for the trophy of Russian League. And um, yeah, it hasn't been great. So excited to talk about this, all that stuff. <laughs> I was just going to say, because we will have to talk about this now, Tim. Are you going to be all right? I'll survive, yeah, but it's not going to be a pleasurous podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sure, uh, Andrew, you, 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 and I, uh, we can we can help Tim through this tough time, can we not? Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do our best, Tim. Um, we'll we'll focus on the other parts as much as we can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have we have match day 27 wrapped up in the books, and I guess now with all the repeat games, etc., because of the Russian winter. Um, all in the books. We now finally have every team um, on an even footing. And before we go and talk about all these topics, I mean, an interesting match day 27. We got Ruben Kazan, Rostov play 1-1. One, one. Um, Anji Ural, your side, Andrew Ural beating Anji. Um, a good result yep. for them. Very, very, very enjoyable to beat Vadim Skripchenko. I was very <laughs> pleased to see that. <laughs> I, I, I was sure you would say that. Uh, Rabovsk, first side to be confirmed to be uh, relegated, uh, defeated by Dinamo Moscow. Um, next match, Arsenal Tula against Zenit 3 3. Just drew a smile on my face, and you guys probably both know why. Um, <laughs> I, I just had to, when I saw who scored that final goal for Tula, and we'll talk about that in great depth and length, uh, I just had to smile because, you know, sometimes football is just like a movie, like a Hollywood movie. You couldn't script it any better than that. Um, but we'll reveal that in just a moment. Um, CSKA Moscow against Krasnodar. That's a big result for Moscow, CSKA Moscow, because they essentially are staying in the title race. 
Tosno Amkaperm. That result has implications too because um, Tosno are now on a straight down relegation spot and Tosno are of course in the Russian Cup final um, against the second division side. So it looks like next year's Cup winner will be representing Russia as a second division side. Um, more on that later too, guys. Lokomotiv Moscow against Ufa. 0-0. Bad result for them. Uh, only on the first glance. Because um, all the competitive, competitive sides that they're competing with over the title, of course, drop points except for CSKA. And then your side, Tim. Um, yeah. Spartak Moscow. Ahmad Krosny. 1-3. Um, I think we actually need to start with this game, Tim. And, um, I assume you've watched the full thing and, um, have probably overcome this terrible result by now. Um, it essentially eliminates Bartok from the title race. Um, your thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely eliminated from the title race. It was, uh, Bad game by Spartak, Ahmad were just very, very good. Uh, they were leading 3 nothing, uh after pretty much a little less than an hour. All three goals were scored by a counter-attack by Birisha, who is um, who's just a fantastic and very, very fast um, uh, striker. Yeah, it's very hard to really to, to explain what happened because Spartak played really really poorly um, nothing absolutely nothing worked for, for the team uh, both first and second like actually all three goals were scored after horrible mistakes and um, those mistakes were, mad, uh, were made in pretty much in the final third and that led to uh, very very fast counter attacks by Ahmad Grozny which were led by Berisha and uh, Oh, yeah, it, Spartak really showed nothing. There was a, in the end, there was one goal which was pretty a nice goal, but really, overall, it was a very um, dull and a very un, uncreative performance by Spartak. The Quincy Promise was the, substituted, and he very rarely gets substituted. He was substituted and absolutely fair enough because he did absolutely nothing and um but yeah that was and you know like you know bad games happens but this is like the third uh bad game in a row after losing to uh, andrew sides ural then getting eliminated by tosno uh, in a semi cup um semi-final cup game Oh, yeah. And, you know, the, the Tosna game wasn't that bad, but they still get three losses in a row. And, uh, yeah, like, uh, as ever, it starts uh, happening around Spartak. Uh, the, the mood is just, you know, the, Spartak is such a club, there's never mediocre emotions. It's always super great or it's always super horrible. And, yeah, people started talking about Carrera being, um, uh, you know, not being a good coach and potentially he needs to be fired and all, all that stuff. And uh, really, it's just, it's just like around the club right, right now, it's, it's everything is on fire. Uh, the players are not obviously happy. Gushakov, um, the captain of the team, stayed on the bench. That also raises some questions. And um, it's, 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 it's not great. Uh, I'm still, I'm, I'm always class half full because I think, okay, like, uh, you know, you lost three games. Yeah. You, you eliminated from the semi final of the cup, 
but the life goes on. You know, I still Carrera. I don't think Carrera should go because of everything what he achieved for the club in the past uh, year and a half. How long he's been um, working to the side? Uh, it just needs, you know, you just need to focus on the three games. Make sure you get to the Champions League, and then you have this break, and then you need to make some decisions, maybe on players. Hopefully not on the coach. That's my personal opinion. But really, I, I'm not very dramatic. It's just not. It's, it's not great. Uh, but really, life goes on. You still have to play the three remainder games and play the next season and million seasons after. So so I think they just the team and everyone around the club needs to focus and uh, focus on those three games and then start dramatizing if there's anything to dramatize about. Yeah, you're still third, right, Tim? Yeah. I mean, in the end of the day, that, that would be qualification for the Champions League qualifiers. Um, I guess and you could still finish second. It's really only a point between Spartak and CSKA. Um, I guess what's worrying is that it's now three bad results in a row and you not only um, are wasted away two titles, the cup and the championship, but I guess the way things are going, you also have to look over your shoulders because Zenit and Krasnodar are within a striking distance, right? Is that really where you know you, where you would draw the line if um, you have a couple more bad results? And then Massimo Carrera could be could be in danger of losing his job. I think uh, the only the result, the final result, will kind of put his job in danger. Uh, if we don't qualify for Champions League, that kind of um, raises a question. But at the same time, the club released an official statement on their official website saying that they fully support Massimo Carrera and they. Uh, suggest fans to unite around the coach and around the team uh, so I don't know he needs to pretty much lose the, the remainder of three games and maybe not qualify for no it's impossible to not qualify for Europe for Europe at all but uh, to really to be his job it in danger it needs to be something really horrific. Uh, the good thing about Spartak that we have a fairly easy compared to other teams um, uh, match day, you know calendar of games. It didn't help us in the past because we lost lost to Ural and Ahmad, so which was supposed to be easy games. But at the same time, Tsk, who is ahead of Spartak on one point, uh, they still they 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 counted as slightly tougher because they have to play Zenit uh, in the next match day and they have to play play them away, and they also have two games against Arsenal, Tula, and Anji. Anji may be a, a not a, you know an easier game, but still they have to play Zenit and Arsenal, which might they, this is where they might drop points. And at the same time, Spartak wins all the remainder three games, which we have against uh, Dynamo, Rostov, and Amkar. Potentially, you know, we might be on a second place. So re really, but I agree. I agree with you. It's not even right now about who we're playing against. It's about the the mood of the team, the mood of the squad, uh, the decisions which Carrero make in terms of um, picking the squad because he has been asked numerous times about Glushakov, why Glushakov is not playing. And I watched his post match conference, and like me and you. Uh, visited the Whitecaps uh, match day uh, press conference last time, and mm. it felt slightly heated because Whitecaps lost. This one felt like Carrera spoke in Italian, and he was real, like really, like almost freaking out because he was saying, "Don't question me about who I picked. There. I have good relationship with Glushakov. I pick, I make my decisions based on their physical conditions, based on their." 
who how performed on trainings and he pretty much freaked out when people started asking him about Glushakov. So I don't know what's happening between them. I he says everything is fine. Glushakov uh, doesn't really comment, but um, yeah. But you know when 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 the team is losing, you always have those rumors. That, oh, somebody doesn't like somebody, and then with the, the team when the team is losing, everyone in love with everybody. So you know I think with the good results, uh, you know all the love will come back. What do you make of this entire situation, Andrew? I mean, after all, this was a coach that we highly praised last season. And Spartak, Spartak were so solid. And I mean, this is, in so many ways, um, this is a league where all the top teams have been inconsistent. And it just happens to be that the team that has been the least inconsistent of all the inconsistent sides is in the top of the league, right, in locomotive. Um is this just the nature of Russian football that there is just this inconsistency A and B? Um, do you think Spartak are actually in trouble? Well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll take the second question first. I say, I'd say absolutely not. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, of course, it's, it is disappointing. There's no two ways about it, the results of the last three games. But what I would say is, look, this is about the worst situation or not quite imaginable, not qualifying for Europe would be that. But relative to the last three weeks, this is the lowest they could be. And after the next match day, as long as Spartak just simply win the next three games, they're guaranteed to get at least Champions League qualification. And actually, to be honest with you, I see CSK Moscow dropping points, um, probably probably a bit draw, I don't know, but I'll drop points away to Zanit, I think. Uh, and, then, and then suddenly you're straight back to automatic Champions League qualification. Yeah, losing the title race is a is a is is a shame. Yeah, um, well, that's to put it mildly. But to sack a manager because of that, bearing in mind, and Tim has made this point before, um, you know, back in the days of Alejandro Romantiev, success was a, almost a given for Sparta year in year out, and and Carrera has brought back a winning mentality, or at least being in contention for mm-hmm. titles. Uh, and that's something Spartak haven't had for a while. And the players clearly love him. The fans clearly love him. And that's something that you can't... I'm mm. not saying it's it's invaluable, but it's certainly worth considering because you can have a results-driven manager who just does not connect to the fans. And believe me, I know about that from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Carrera, he he at least has that connection. I don't think he's he's tactically inept at all. I think he's, he's very good with the way he sets up the team. This... This Akhmat Grozny result for me was almost a freak result. You know, you've got to bear in mind, Akhmat are, they're struggling. Um, had they lost that game, they would have been level on points with the relegation zone. And Bernard Berisha, a fantastic player, like Tim mentioned, he hadn't scored or assisted a single goal all season. And suddenly he scores a fantastic individual goal. Um, you know, I think, honestly, there's an element of teams, and this is something Spartak will have to live with pretty much for the rest of the time, really. Teams raise their game against the big central clubs in the country. Um, Spartak are, without doubt, the biggest club. They've the tar- they got a target on their back the whole time. And I think smaller clubs raise their game almost subconsciously against Spartak. And I think that's what happened um, this weekend. Sometimes there just isn't really a great deal you can do on the day. Um, but Spartak in trouble? No, I don't think so. Um <laughs> It is an inconsistent league, as we know, but yeah. um, Carrera should not be sacked, in my view. I'm not saying he won't be, because we know that um <laughs> has a tendency to be trigger-happy, but I would keep Spart- I keep Carrera. Spartak will be at least Champions League qualification, 
I actually suspect they will make second place, um, which is not a bad consolation prize getting back into Champions League. Um, and next season, start again. Decent squad there. Hold on to promise if they can. And honestly, I don't see I don't see a major drama coming. They're straight Good. back at the Champions League too. That's the thing. If you finish second, it's straight into the group group stage, yeah. right? Which is exactly yeah. is huge because that means that throughout the summer you can basically by the time when the season finishes, you can go into the transfer market and say like, look, we're we're qualified straight for the Champions League. We can bring in this player. We can bring in that player. It just gives you uh, what we call in German Planungssicherheit, planning security, um, which is which is of course big, especially with the World Cup coming up. We all know what the what the World Cup does to player values. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden a player that no one ever heard about um, scores two goals at a World Cup game and his transfer value triples. Um, mm. So you want to drop up all your key transfers before the World Cup. So getting into the Champions League is 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 very, very important. And um, that almost gets me to our next point because um, a side that looks currently like missing out on the Champions League is Zenit. And Zenit, you couldn't have scripted this better, boys. We called our last podcast Atom Super coming. Um, <laughs> this was a great game. It ended up 3-3 and Atom Super scoring the tying goal. Um, Tim, Super was a Spartak player. Mm. And uh, he's now he's always been a guy who's been on and off when it comes to loans, etc. Um has a couple great seasons, then has an off year, falls out with a coach. Uh, there was so much made before this game about the fine that Arsenal Tula would have had to pay if uh, Zuba plays, right? 120,000 euros. And Artem Zuba said straight out, if if the club is not paying that fine, I'll pay it out of my own pocket. I am going to play against Zenit. <laughs> it's such a remarkable story in so many ways. And then, of course, he scores the tying goal to make it 3-3 costing Zenit two valuable points. And those two points now mean that Zenit are still fourth rather than second. Tim, you couldn't have scripted this any better than what happened, eh? Yeah, that's that's an absolutely um, fantastic story. Just uh, yeah, that just summarizes the relationship between uh, Zuba and Mancini. Just to give the listeners, if they're not familiar, uh, Arsenal, Tula, they played at home against Zenit. They... Um, they got a goal, and then they were leaving 2-1. Then Daler Kuzaev, who came on as a substitution, made the, the score 3-2. And then Artyom Zuba scored the last equalizing goal, as Manu said. It was minute 88, 89, something like that. Then he um, ran to um, his current coach, Miroslav uh, Miadrak Bozovic, hugged him like he's hugging his dad probably there was so much passion in that hug and then he did this little jump uh you know how players they show uh the last name and the back of their number in front of zenith's bench uh obviously that was targeted to to mancini i'm pretty sure that the that zuba is fairly happy and has nothing against the zenith and their fans as a club that whole behavior was come come absolutely against uh, Roberto Mancini and uh, that's the second case when a player on loan shot up in Zuba when they play against the club the Zenit and um, they pretty much make Zenit to lose points and uh, yeah it's absolutely like uh, like the, the goal shot of goal and his performance for Krasnodar against 
against Zenit on that match day was the biggest highlight, and Zuba's performance against Zenit on this day was the biggest highlights. Everyone talks about it, and um, Zuba spoke about it. Mancini spoke about it. It's 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 a very uh, really it just shows the job which Mancini hasn't accomplished in Zenit that you know two Russia national players uh, going alone to other clubs and just perform their best and pretty much take points away from Zenit. It's it's very dramatic and it's, uh, you know, it makes the league interesting. And at the same time, it raises so many questions about uh, Roberto Mancini's job at uh, in St. Petersburg. It, it's such a brilliant story. I, I wrote the article today about the Artem Suba story and I think it's, uh, I, I, I just love stuff like that. Football is so great. It's better than theater. It's better than any movie. It's better than anything we produce because you can't script this and yet it still happens it's just ah it's just wonderful and um you raised something important that um that, those are five points that Sunit yeah. have lost now that would yeah. that means they would be on 54 points um without those five points lost three points behind loco <laughs> yeah <laughs> ahead of everyone else yeah um with with probably the better goal differential too, because if you add those goals, um, that's mind-boggling. I mean, Andrew, to bring you into this conversation, uh, football is great, isn't it? <laughs> ah, just fantastic. I mean, you know, I I, I love everything about it. It was a scrappy goal, but that's that's almost, in a way, that's almost better because it'll, you know, Mancini will feel a bit cheated out of it. I love this celebration, Juba. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I've not been Juba's biggest fan. Technically, no. I, I still think he's he's relatively limited in in a way. But, you know, he's you can't argue with his form. He's he's mm. not sold to Arsenal Tula. He's not played the big shot. He's got on with it. I think he seems to get on, certainly with um, with uh, Bozovic, but also the his new teammates. Um but oh, just just fantastic stuff. I mean, for me, realistically, if we look ahead to the World Cup at this point, and this has obviously got to be on Zuba's mind, yeah. I'd say we're looking at a straight shootout in the squad between Zuba and Zabalotny. I think there's a place for one of them. I don't think there's a place for two because they're too similar for obvious reasons, um, physically and, and technically, I'd say. Zabalotny's struggling at Zanit. Um, he's, I think his general performances are not as bad as many are making out, but he just he needs to score, and, and he's running very, very fast. He's running out of time to do that. Mm. is scoring for fun. Um, you know, OK, sure, there's going to be a question about his, his character and personality, but I think at the moment, Mancini is losing that battle. Because the way he's losing his rag, he's losing his temper, um, he's losing control in many ways of his squad. Uh, nobody expects him to stay. If you put him up against Zuba in the court of public opinion, um, Zuba's possible childishness is is almost justified, I'd say, uh, because he's he's playing. Uh, Mancini wasn't playing him. Now he is. Uh, now now Zuba is playing. So. Fantastic storyline for Juba, and I, I've got to be honest. At the moment, you'd say Juba is in pole position to get that big target man place in the squad, um, and on current form, you know he could be a dangerous option. Yeah, Sabulotny, a big goose egg in his statistic, in his goal scoring statistic for Zenit, zero goals in ten games, I believe, and uh, Artem Suba, five goals in seven games for Arsenal Tula. And I mean, Tim, he's getting these goals for a side that's not a big competitive side. Uh, of course, Arsenal Tula had that chance, that outside chance of making 
the Europa League uh, by finishing sixth. Of course, Spartak took that chance away from them. Congrats, by the way. <laughs> I'll get to that topic in a moment. But five goals in seven games for Arsenal Tula. That's um, a very good turnout. Um, almost a goal a game. And uh, a guy that very much looked like he would not go to the World Cup is now looking like he's very much going to the World Cup. Wouldn't you agree? I personally think that uh, it's a big question. And it's, it doesn't have to do with anything playing condition. It has to do with Stanislas Cherchesov and the way he builds his team. I think actually Zupa might not be going to the World Cup. And it's not because of his uh, footballing. It's all because of his uh, behavior when he and his character. And um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a big question because it's really, uh, as we said, like as everything, to summarize what you both said, Zuba is obviously in a better form than Zabalotny. Zuba has more experience. Zuba just has a bigger, bigger profile as a football player in Russia and he has um, better leadership skills. So he, he should be. Um, if you look neutrally, he should be in the squad. But Stanislav Cherchesov builds his squad about the people who can do, do the job and who could be, um, I don't know, good employees. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm choosing my words correctly, but like good, be good, uh, good soldiers maybe who can do what he tells them to do. And Zuba is not always, uh, will be, uh, doing what he's been told. So, and uh, with, it's, it, it's similar, it's case similar to Denisov's. And again, we all can agree that Denisov, by his playing condition, should be in a squad, but he won't be because of what happened with him, him, and Stanislav Cherchesov in um, in the dressing room uh, when they were both at Dynamo Moscow. Uh, and I think that could also be to do. But there was different rumors. Obviously, uh, Stanislav Cherchesov never publicly says anything. He even never tried to stay away from conversations about Denisov and saying why he's not going to be there. He just says general things. Same thing he says about Zuba. He says, yeah, I'm watching Zuba every game. He's playing good for him. But I have a feeling that uh, Zuba might not be in a squad. And I believe he should be. But again, he is the coach and he makes the decision. But uh, given all the problems that which the Russian team, Russian national team had, especially with injuries, you know, sitting out uh, out of the World Cup, players like Zuba and Denisov might be not the right decision. But it only, but this, you know, the the rightness of this decision will be only determined by the final result. If uh, Russia fails and doesn't qualify from group, uh, then obviously everything will be against Denislav Cherchesov. If they do, and he does it without those two, without those two players, then now you know, obviously all all the praise to him. So we will have to see. I think that's the, that's probably the most interesting thing about the the final squad because like we can have a good idea which probably 16 17 players will end up in the squad but to me this is the biggest um mystery and question about the squad and how Stanislav Cherchesov will handle it I have a feeling that Artem Zuba even in this form will miss the World Cup Oh a big statement right there um I'm not so sure, but I think you might, you might be right because I don't think Zuba and Smolov can play together. That's, that's the big question for me, right? Can you, can you put those two together? And if one is, if Zuba is in the squad and he's not playing because Smolov is for me the better player and he will be starting, um, yeah. will he be sitting on the bench and accept exactly. that? Exactly. Right. That's, 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 that's just a thought, thought process. Yeah. And I, I can see where he's, where he's coming from with that. Um, on the other hand, what happens if, you know, match, first match, if the World Cup, 
um, small off sprints for a ball, a guy hits him in the back of the leg and he goes <laughs> down with an injury and then you don't have another striker of the caliber on your bench. Um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's a big gamble. Um, but, but yeah, also the, the story would just, just to, for the listeners to, who don't closely follow the Russian national team, why one of the stories why Chichesov doesn't like Zuba, there's the famous story about the Sox. Uh, I think it was the, was it the, uh, the, the breakfast or something like that? So the whole team showed up and Zuba, Zuba shows up in socks without any shoes. And that really pissed off Stanislav Chechesov. So that's, that, that's the things which, which Chechesov doesn't like about him personally. So he doesn't like when people do things like that. So that just, that, because of that, uh, and, um, his behavior, he, he, it's just a small example, but you, so you get the idea of why, why this might happen. But yeah, again, like I said, I think Zuba should be in the squad, but it comes to the, the coach. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this and, and we have, we've laughed about this in the past, haven't we? About Stanislav Czesław. I had an interview with a Polish newspaper last week. Um, big journalist, Pavel Wilkovich, and, uh, we chatted among others about Czesław and Pavel told me is that when he was at, uh, in Warsaw co- coaching Legia, that the Polish journalist always had a lot of fun with him because he's such an interesting character to deal with. Very quirky, very, um, very opinionated. And once set in a certain way, that's it. That's the Chechesov way. There's no other way, mm-hmm. isn't there? Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah. You know, I, I think I take that as a, as a positive. And, you know, I actually, I think Tim's assessment is, is certainly a fair one. Um, I, I mean, about, you know, about Zuba making a squad, whether Chichesov will take his character or not. It's a bold call. Basically, let's, let's put it this way. Um, if Zuba is not selected for the World Cup, it's a bold call by Chichesov. But the fact that he's capable of making those bold calls, in my eyes, is a positive almost in itself because yeah. he's had to make quite a lot of those over the last 18 months, two years. Um, and that's what the Russian national team needed. Um, I, I can't, I can't imagine many people other than the, the, Igor Denisov um, crowd can really complain with how he's he's handled the squad. And if you if you take that into consideration first and foremost, then actually Tim makes a valid point. Zuba on character is is less likely to to be favoured. I mean I mean honestly, the fact the fact that we're going into this as a host nation um, with quite a few injuries, there's a lot of pressure on the home side. There's not been a lot of success for the Russian national team for well. For really since year 2008, to be honest with you, um, and it, you, you've got to say on that grounds, there's there's quite a lot of possible doom and gloom around the squad. But I think Chichesov's made the best out of that situation, um, and that's come down to his his quirkiness, his conviction of his own character. Uh, definitely a positive for me. Um, so if he doesn't go with Zuba, I would trust his judgment. Um, if he does, it's I agree with you, Manu, when you say Zuba as a tall, slightly less mobile target man and Smoloff as the the more, well, free-roaming, shall we say, uh, more talented player, they don't naturally work so so well together as a partnership. But the reason I'd have Dubra in the squad purely would be as a different option, not as a combination with Smoloff. Mm. But again, like Tim mentioned, there is that the character and Chichester values character highly. Um, and I respect him for that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward immensely to seeing what this uh, the final squad will be like. Um, but to be honest, he's running out of striking options mm-hmm. if he doesn't pick Juba. 
But so if he doesn't, I wonder who he would go with up front. That would be the question for me. Yeah, no, that's a very good question. and something that we need to follow. Um, I want to slightly move away from the World Cup squad though and stay very quickly with Sinead because the interesting question now is, of course, with Suba and Shatov more or less um, putting a major obstacle to Sinead's path to the Champions League. And you remember the side invested 94 million euros this summer. Uh, last summer, sorry, to into the squad, a significant amount of money without Champions League football. Um, if Champions League football is not in the cards, we can assume that Senic will be in trouble with uh, UEFA financial fair play and um, will have liked him to make some cuts to the squad. It would be inevitable. Now, the, the reason why I'm saying this is I believe Artem Schuber is on 5 million euros a year at Senic. Um, I think he would be one of the first players to be cut from the side. And um, it's kind of interesting that Super scoring this goal against his former club to upset them also kind of jeopardizes or puts a, not jeopardizes, but puts a question mark to his own future, doesn't it, Andrew? Because all of a sudden mm. there might not be a path back for him to Sinit if Sinit do not play in the Champions League next year. Yeah, I mean that's on a on a purely financial sense. That's absolutely true. Um, I mean, I saw I saw Mancini coming out saying yesterday that uh, you know in response to the celebrations of Zuba in front of him and referencing Shatov as well, he said that these boys are going to be back at Zenit in in um, what, in thirty days' time. And he, the way he was talking sounded as if he assumed he would still be there, but which quite surprised me really because I really cannot see anybody, especially Mancini, expecting. The Italian to still be in charge. Now, if he's not in charge, which we all expect to not be the case, then it does open up a very different uh, scenario on a playing sense. From a playing sense, I think Zanitz at this point would would like to keep him in the squad. But you, numbers talk, Manu. You're right. That investment, especially in the context of the you know the financial health of the Russian football Premier League in the last three four seasons, that investment last summer was. Very, very significant, and it's it's fairly it's fairly simple stuff. You don't get Champions League football with that investment. Then, I mean, not just that's bad for the the their finances in general, but for financial fair play specifically. So, yeah, I I think I think he really would be in danger. The problem is though that if Zuba is shipped out of Zenit, who is actually going to take him on? Because you know. Arsenal Tula would love to have him, I'm sure, but could they afford him for a full season? I, I'd be surprised if they could. Um, you know, would uh, Tisca certainly wouldn't be able to afford him. We know that much. Going back to Spartak, I mean, Tim, yeah. I mean, do you have any thoughts on Zuba possibly going back to Spartak? I mean, yeah. is that a ludicrous idea? It's <laughs> no. to me. Yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you, you've all got all those sides. And what are you left with? Local. Um, local. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, Loco, I actually genuinely thought would have been the more sensible option in the winter for him to go yeah. on loan. But, um, well, I say it's sensible, sensible for him. So he don't want to strengthen the direct rival, I guess. Would would Krasnar, Krasnar take him on if Smoloff leaves for big mm. money? I, I'd be, again, I'd be mildly surprised. I don't Not many so. options left for him, though. Yeah. No, I think Krasnar will go young, right? They will, they will probably yeah, play right. Ignatiev. Exactly. They will play Ignatiev up front um, as they have when, when Smolov was, was hurt. Uh, I can't see Galitsky doing that. Also, you, you have to remember, 
he's on 5 million euros a year. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of dengue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just can't, I just can't see that. Maybe Turkey, um, Major League Soccer. Um, oh. you, you know, I, I don't, I just don't know. It's, it's a tricky yeah. one. Maybe Ural would take him on. I mean, get us into Europe. <laughs> to fill that new stadium, right? Um, yeah, I mean, a chi China. Um, I, I can see I can see options, but I, I mean, if Mancini is still the head coach there next season, I, there, there's definitely no way back now. Um, if he's not the head coach because they failed to miss the to reach the Champions League, I think they will have to look at the contract. I, I think it's, it's an interesting few months coming up for Zuba and uh, maybe... Maybe the World Cup, if he does make that squad after all, maybe it will be a miracle. Um, will be an, will be an interesting one for him because he might be playing for a new job. <laughs> or he has to take a pay cut and stay at Arsenal Tula. I, I, th I think this is going to be a very interesting one to follow. Um, of course, I, I think Loco, uh, would be in, would be made the number one option. And I, I want to talk to about Loco because Loco are pretty much have secured the championship, boys. I think, uh, Although I think they have once before given away a seven point gap, um, with three matches to, uh, sorry, a six point gap with three matches to play. So CSKA is still very much in a race. And CSKA is such an interesting story for me because they have done zero investment, none, nothing, nada. And yet Goncharenko has them in second place at the moment. Tim. Uh, hold on, on Manny. You say, Manny, you say zero investment. They did spend three hundred thousand euros on Christian uh, Bistrovic. That's a that's a big money signing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll put this into context of how much this guy used to spend for players. All right, I, I mean they did bring back Ahmed Musa. Um, I guess to be fair, you know, so um, that is a significant investment, not in terms of buying him, but in case of salary, right? Um, okay, so I'll give you that. Um, the other one, I'm not so sure, Andrew. But uh, still, Goncharenko, for both, there's a question for both of you, and I'll give it first to Tim. Is he maybe the coach of the season um, in Russian football at the moment? Well, I think the coach of the season should go to Yuri Sherman if Lokomotiv wins the league, but Goncharenko has definitely proved himself again as a very good and talented coach. Every, everywhere he was worked he proved that he knows how to work with the squad and CSKA is definitely one of those squads because they had a very successful European campaign we must remember that um, pretty good Champions League for the Russian side quarterfinal of Europa League good and uh, still being in contention for Champions League with the squad which they have with the back line which is over a century old and uh, he still manages to 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 have those results and to be in full contention for the uh, Champions League spot. So absolutely, he knows how to work the squad. He also, we need to give them praise. And uh, if you take a look, just really two years and uh, compare the squad from this year, how many youngsters he had brought in and how uh, they have been doing. Okay, Golovin is a talented guy and is a success story. But there's some other players like Kuchayev, um, Fedor Chalov and other players who he started including in the squad and they, uh, and you can see the progress. To me, sometimes the biggest, uh, obviously all the coaches are judged by the trophies. That's the uh, the ultimate, you know, evaluation of a coach. But the second thing, which how I evaluate coaches, if the players 
um, progress with that coach and they become a player, um, a better player under a, a given coach. And we can definitely say that uh, at least most of the players didn't lose uh, their their quality and young players really improved under under his management. So we can definitely say that Gancherenka did a great job, regardless where Tseska finishes this year. Um, he did a, a fantastic job, and uh, he did a good job for Russian football because uh, you know developing all those youngsters. Posh, it's a future future of a Russian Russian national team. So good for him. Good good season for Tseska and good for Gancherenka. You, Tim mentions the Europa League. Andrew, you were there at the game against Arsenal. Um, this we all thought would be, would be one that they would not come back from. And they came close to coming back into that match and actually maybe even advance, right? Um, oh, yeah. Um, that just shows you how good of a job he has done because when you look at the investments that Arsenal have put in and then you look at the investment that CSKA have put in, um, that's like two different planets, isn't it? That's two, two different universes. I mean, yeah, yeah you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, on on aggregate, it will look like a relatively comfortable um, progression for Arsenal. But my word, Cisco were within a whisker. I swear to God, within a whisker of having Arsenal completely on the ropes. Well, I mean, they did have them on the ropes. I, I honestly think if Cisco had got that third goal, which Astings, if that would have put them through on away goals, if they got that third goal... I th- honestly think they would have gone on to um, to go through. Um, Arsenal were disjointed, and not because... I mean, yes, they have been a disjointed side this season. They're very likely to miss out in Europe next season unless they win the Europa League itself. Um, but I think I think the fact that, like Tim mentions so well, that the, it's not just the fact that he's bold enough to use the youngsters. You know, cynics might even say that he's not being bold using the youngsters. He's simply being forced to because there's not many other options. But he genuinely is trusting them, sometimes ahead of more senior players when a really important game is, is, is coming on. I mean, you know, look at, like Tim says, the likes of Fyodor Chalif have scored in recent weeks. I've been disappointed personally that Chalif hasn't been given a slightly more extended run during the season. He's played quite a lot in bits and pieces, but anyhow, the point is, he's in the squad. He's not made too many public complaints. Um, he's now scoring. Uh, Gemma Letdinov scoring that goal against Benfica. Was it the first Champions League game, I think it was, yeah, it away was. from home? Yeah. Um, you know, and Kuchayev's maturity for an attacking midfielder to be pretty much straight away thrown into a left wing-back role um, and, and do a reasonable job, not outstanding, but well enough, um, that is full credit. I mean, you know, you mentioned, you asked Manu, you know, coach of the season. I'd say, I'd, I'd have to say, I agree with Tim just uh, just about, I think Yuri Simin has turned around a club that has been much further away from the top of the table for a long time. So, so that in itself is a more monumental achievement. But Goncharenka is, is seriously um, restoring his reputation, which in my opinion was unfairly damaged um, at, at Kuban Krasadar, for example. Mm. Um, so, I think Goncharenka is, I think he's doing a fantastic job. Um, not many managers could have done what he's done, recovered from, well, falling behind in, in investments, in transfers. So um, it's looking bright for Tisca. And um, yeah, it's a fantastic job he's done this season, Goncharenka. No, that is, of course, and we have to address the elephant in the room. And I want to keep this really quick, boys. Lokomotiv is the champion, Tim? Yes. Yes, okay. Andrew? Yes, at this point, yeah. Okay, okay. 
I just want to say, yeah, yeah, it's very resounding. You guys are both very confident. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I think so too, but I want to also stress that they have squandered a six point lead of three games to go in the past. Just, just saying that. Just, just well, you know, Manu, you, you, you mention it, you mention it, but Manu, think of this though, guys. How many times this season have we said that's it? The title is locomotive. Yeah, and yeah. how many times has the have the points been slowly, inevitably drawn back? Don't forget, they've got a really, really difficult game coming up. They've got to play. Um, they've got to play Krasnodar away. Mm-hmm. They've got to play Zenit. Those are two games they could quite easily lose. Um, and then they've got to play Arsenal Tula away. I mean, it's it's a very extreme situation, but they really could lose all three. It's not un, it's not unheard of. So, um, on balance, if you put a gun to my head, I'd have to say yes. I think there will be yeah. will be um, title winners, but it's not a foregone conclusion. Still, yeah, they need three points, right? end of the day that's what they need three yeah. draws or one win um doesn't sound too difficult you have three match it's like it's like tennis when you have three match balls right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's where loco are right now um i think i i think they they got it mine says they got it but um it'd be a hilarious conclusion if tsga end up winning the trophy somehow at the end of the day that's the only club that can still challenge them. And oh boy, would that be, would be that something. Um, I don't think so, to be quite fair, because, um, we have to also remember they're playing Zenit next, right? Um, which is the, possibly the, one of the biggest games in Russian football, because it is the, the game between the two teams that have won the most titles in the last 10 years or so. Um, so they will definitely take points off each other in one way or another. Um, so worst, best case, Loco will have wrapped it up. Worst case, they will only need one point from there on. But yeah, you, you both, you both, right? I mean, I, I think they got it too, but I was just saying it's not completely done yet. Um, cool. So Russian title, we, we think Loco got it. Um, that brings us to the other title in Russian football. And, um, this is hilarious, guys. It's just, <laughs> damn, I have to go with you. Um, <laughs> we're all laughing because it's very likely Russia will send a second division side to the Europa League next year. Um, I, as people will be looking this up and say, well, look at, wait a minute. Tosno is playing in the final against Avangard Korsk and Tosno are still in the first division. But I look at the table right now, Tosno on a straight down relegation spot. Um, it's a long ways to a non-relegation playoff spot. So, you know, it looks quite likely that they will be in the second division and they might be in the second division as the cup winner or, you know, Avangard Kursk, a team that's mid table in the FNL could win it. Um, both teams with the Russian Cup winner, win victory would go straight to the Europa League group stage. I looked this up. There has been teams from the second division winning the Cup before. Um, Ahmad Krosny, for example, as Terry Krosny, but they actually were promoted the same year. So they actually played in the first division when they played in the UEFA Cup. It was back then. Um, so this will be the first time if Tosno go down that Russia will have a second division team competing in the Europa League. Uh, Tim, I feel like your side is responsible, so I'm going to go with you first. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You lost that game to Torsno in penalties. Um, There's there's a good chance we'll have have to write previews on an FNL side next year when it comes to Europa League football. 
What's your thoughts on that? Well, well also given, the, you know, to add to everything what you said, which I agree, also the Tosna has been having some financial issues. Yeah. Um, they There were some issues that the, the players haven't been receiving the, their pay for a few months. So there's some, that, that kind of adds up to the whole thing. So... Yeah, it's a situation where you know where you have two, one, yeah, an FNL club being in the cup final. Uh, it, just to show how ridiculous the situation is, uh, the Russian FA officially announced that the, um, the, uh, it will be a free entrance to the game. <laughs> they don't, they don't want to sell tickets because I don't think they they can. Like, how many Ars- uh, avant-garde Kursk have fans? Uh, Tosna is an absolutely new club which has been established very recently. They don't have a big fan base. So on this big U stadium, you can see a cup of final cup cup game with a few hundred people watching it. That will be a complete, obviously, embarrassment. So I don't know how they're gonna uh, sell that to people to attend the game. But honestly, really, I it's 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 crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous. This the whole situation. Um, people have been saying, yeah, that you know the cup is losing its value, and yeah, obviously the way the, the clubs have been behaving and uh, putting the B teams and really not playing that at 100% and pretty much half of the um, Premier League teams got relegated in the first round, not relegated, but uh, you know, lost in the, in the lost in the first round. So it's 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 interesting, and uh, you know, we have that same thing is happening in France right now. But again, at least uh, the, the two clubs from third division uh, play the semi final, and one of them will be in the final. But again, they're playing against the like you know, proper side here. Uh, you have Tosno and Avangard Kursk. Yeah, I, I honestly I know nothing about Avangard Kursk, and I kind of follow Russian football, not only the top division, I try to follow everything. I know nothing about this team. And they're in the cup final. This is just like this is just crazy. Um, it will be an outrageous cup final. I don't. I'm not gonna watch it. I'm not gonna be there for free, obviously. Um, yeah, that's kind of sums up the this cup. If Spartak would have been there, oh, but you know, we're not there. <laughs> um, Andrew, Tim, and Evgeny Ginner's you know quotes pretty much Evgeny Ginner was that the Russian cup is that now this is a tournament that qualifies you for the group stage of the Europa League where you can make pretty decent money if you're a Russian side um are teams just stupid throwing these opportunities away I mean for for one of those two teams this will be like winning the lottery right <laughs> well I mean you know money I'm I'm as gobsmacked as you are I, I mean, don't forget it's not just that but it's not that many rounds for Premier League sides to actually yeah. have to go yeah. through at all um, the was it four games they have to win to win the cup? Um, I, I just find it quite I find it quite bizarre why they don't take it more seriously. Um, I mean last last year of course I was I was there in Sochi watching my side Ural Yekaterinburg in the final against Lokomotiv and mm. I mean it was just such an incredible tension in in the stadium because there was the possibility of Ural playing European football and I thought well you know for a side like um, well, any any of the mid-table sides, why the hell do they not go absolutely hell for leather for the Russian Cup? Um, honestly, if unless they are genuinely in danger of relegation, they should prioritise the cup because the financial rewards alone, no. yes, you know, and the possibility of attracting new players. Honestly, I find it quite bizarre. I, I think 
what Gina said about the cup being devalued is not entirely inaccurate, to be honest, because the, the truth is it, it, it doesn't have as much value because teams aren't taking it seriously. But I think they're stupid to not value it. That's the thing I find really quite odd. Um, I mean, they, they might say, sure, the first game is always, the, the, enough, the, third, the round of 32 is always away for, for Premier League teams. And, you know, if you're drawn against the Habradovs or, or Yenisei Krasnyarsk or, or, or whoever else it is, then it's a longer away trip. But for crying out loud, these are professional footballers. It's only one or two extra away games in the whole season. And this could get you European football. I, I, I'm just, I, I don't get it. I don't really know what more can be done to make, to sort of force yeah. more value onto the cup. Direct passage to Europe is about as good as it gets. So, mm. um, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned this crazy final we've got coming up with Avangard, Kursk and, and Tosno. This is going to sound horrible, but I'm entirely selfish as a football fan. I actually hope that financial irregularities are found between both of them and then sixth place magically does open up for Europe because mm-hmm. um, at the moment it would be it would be a, a, a nice consolation for losing the Russian Cup final last year for Odal but it is going to be a weird situation isn't it next season unless uh, unless something like that happens Andrew as a, as a big follower of uh, FK Tumain could you please tell something about avant-garde Kursk like who the hell they are yeah I was going to ask that next well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, I, I, th- I have seen them before at the stadium, but not this season. I saw them last season, I think it was, um, uh, or maybe a couple of seasons ago. I actually forget when it was. They, they basically, they, there's not a lot to say about them except that they're not an, they're not an adventurous side. They don't, they don't have any standout players, and that's like a lot of teams in the Fanel. Um, to, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I love two men. They are the greatest team in the world, of course. But um, <laughs> despite being fifteenth in the second tier of Russian football, but um, the, a lot of teams in the Fenel are genuinely very beatable. The teams that do well are simply the ones with a bit more experience and a bit more nous. I mean, the fact that they're mid-table in the Fenel kind of tells you all you need to know. They're, they're not spectacular. Yeah. Um, mm. If they can't pull up trees in the in the second tier, then then there's not a lot to them. No, I mean, I can't tell you specific names, players to watch out for, to be honest with you. Um, but except to say that um, Tosnor really should be humiliated if they don't if they don't win. It's as simple as that. Even though Tosnor are going down, we still have quality players and certainly better than Avangard Kursk. Um, so, yeah, this really should be Tosnor's cup to win. That's, I mean, this is just so mind blowing to me. You know, um, you mentioned the financial problems. Of course, for Tosno to win them, that might solve their financial problems because it's, I think it's between two and four million euros for, to get into Europa League, which is again, that's a lot of money for a side from Russia. Um, but imagine Kursk wins this. I, I think this, uh, Kursk is the most, the most famous thing about Kursk is the massive tank battle that took place there in World War Two. It, uh, <laughs> this is the only reason why people know where it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's avant-garde, uh, the vanguards. Um, it's also known as an art term. I, I think I, I personally, Andrew, to go completely against your, your line of thought, I want avant-garde course to win this, this, uh, Europa League trophy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to lie, Manny. It would be absolutely fantastic to see just out of pure, curiosity just to see how the hell a second tier Russian side would do um, yeah. I mean, 
the fascinating thing for me would be, Manu, though, if, if Avangard win, they're in Europe, but obviously they'll be still be in the second tier because they're safe from relegation and they're yeah. not going to get promoted. How will they be able to attract players then? Because with Europe, <laughs> obviously that's a tool, but they're still second tier. They're not really likely to get promoted. But maybe if they get two or three decent quality players, it's not often not much more than that needed to lift yourself from mid-table Fenel to promotion candidates. So it could genuinely be a fairy tale story of of genuinely real proportions for them. So it'd be fascinating to see that. That's what I'd be interested to see. But like yeah. I say, I still don't want that to happen. They don't deserve it, but I'll need Europe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't actually know what happens if they because UEFA needs to give them a license to play, right? And I actually have no clue what happens if UEFA says to Tosno or Avangard Kursk, like, look, um, this is, this is fantastic, guys, but you have no stadium, you have no money, you have, <laughs> congrats to your Russian, the Russian Cup title, but you will not playing in Europe. Um, I'm really curious to see what happens. I guess that it well, was, I have it, one of the, I hope one of the semifinalists will. Oh, well, one of the semi-finals hopefully will be in Champions League. But then, yeah, maybe Ural will go, huh, Andrew? Yeah, uh, six, now, six, then we'll show the world. Sixth place, right? <laughs> um, I guess so. Um, well, this is something that we have to keep in mind. Well, of course, we're going to preview this game. We're going to try to find out um, as much as we can about Kursk and try <laughs> to put together a preview on the Russian Cup. Um, yeah, we'll be curious. It will be in Volgograd, so if you're hanging out in Volgograd, it's free. You, <laughs> you can watch a cup final for free. There's not that many times that you can say that. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll wrap that up and we'll, we'll get back to that final once it's played. Um, Andrew, I want to go to you last. And uh, you were in Saransk, uh, have about four or five minutes left in this podcast. Tell us, what was the experience like? How was the stadium? Saransk, of course, a third division side right now. You went to the opening match of the new stadium. How was it? Well, I, I tell you what, I was very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, I mean, Saransk, uh, as most people who follow the World Cup will know, is the smallest host city. And, and went to give you an idea of quite how small the airport, which is all brand, you know, brand new, it's renovated. Um, it is one building, and I mean literally one building, no out, outbuildings or anything. Um, it's the tiniest airport I've ever been to. There are there are no there's no public transport from the airport to the city centre, and you think is this really a World Cup city? It, it is quite astonishing. But you get into the city centre and it is an absolutely stunning city. It, I mean, I say city, really, it's more of a town. You can walk around the centre in about an hour, two hours. Um, you know, there's lots of interesting architecture. There's a lot of churches in the centre that are immaculately maintained. Um, you know, there's a zoo, there's an old Soviet theme park in the centre, there's lovely waterways. Um, so the city, I've, I, I absolutely loved, really, really loved it. The people were very friendly as well. So um, Saransk is a city, brilliant. Um, and in a weird way, I kind of think a small place suits a World Cup um, host city if it's not one of the main centres for the busier games, simply because there'll be less madness let less confusion less policing necessary simply because it's all contained um now when it came to the actual stadium itself i went to the start stadium first the the where mordovia surrounds could be playing um i mean it's three temporary stands and an old crumbling soviet building that make up that stadium and 300 meters this is the best part the top of the main stand you can see the world cup stadium about i don't know three four hundred meters um over the over the next building and the Moldovia Arena, the World Cup 
ground is it's it is absolutely fantastic it's a really really good structure um you know the acoustics are great because it curved the roof curves right back down again so the the noise reverberates well um and yeah i mean the security was good um a lot of these world cup stadiums are being very very carefully policed and you know, I was stopped a few times, asked for documents outside the stadium, and then the process getting in was not the quickest, but it was efficient. Um, so, honestly, full marks to the stadium. Um, the pitch, there's a few question marks about the quality mm. of the pitch, but this is the first time it's been played on. And you know how new pitches are laid, they need time to bed in and mm. all that. But um, I, I have faith that will be taken care of, um, even if they have to relay the pitch in an emergency sense. But the stadium itself was well run. Um, it looked tidy. It didn't look like there was a lot of work needed to the building structure. Um, security was good. And because Saransk is such a small city, it is literally right in the centre. So getting there, not a problem. So, yeah, definitely one of the more interesting offbeats host cities and World Cup venues. Definitely looking forward to seeing it stage the, the big show itself. Yeah, I love the pictures that you took, Andrew, that you sent to us, um, both on the chat and then, of course, the ones that we used for the article that you published on footballgrad.com. And um, I haven't put Saransk on the cities that I'm going to visit during the World Cup yet, but I'm kind of tempted now. Um, there's a there's still a chunk of five, six days that are unaccounted for, so maybe... Just maybe, yeah. but uh, <laughs> <Consider> it, <Manic>. <laughs> <laughs> well, consider it, but we have to do some planning anyways, Andrew. So we'll, we'll chat off that off pod anyways, but um, that's it, boys. We're done. And I thought this was a fantastic podcast. I uh, really enjoyed this one, I have to say, um, but I give the floor to you guys. Um, Andrew, you are still traveling around Russia, visiting World Cup venues. What's next? Oh, God, yes, still traveling. It's, I seem, I seem to live in Moscow, Domodedovo airport at the moment. But yeah, this, this weekend I'm off again. I'm going to Rostov, uh, then to Volgograd, um, Samara and Nizhny Novgorod in, well, in the next week, 10 days. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, certainly I'll certainly get some pictures up for, on a football grad social media mm. and I'll write up a couple of, uh, articles about some of those those host cities so after that i will have visited i think eight out of the world cup host cities so it's it's satisfying it's exhausting work but it's satisfying so that's what's next up for me on the agenda yeah and uh, keep make sure follow that at football grad live and i think at Ru uh, russian football news as well right andrew that's where you usually post stuff as well yeah yeah some 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 on russianfootballnews.com and uh, uh on the social media and some on football grad as well so yeah definitely keep your eyes open mm. um i'll definitely have some pieces up for football grad there fantastic stuff and uh tim how about you what are you up to well my life is not exciting as andrews i might only get to drive to suri <laughs> tonight <laughs> and i don't know what suri is <laughs> um, <laughs> It's a place. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not even as glamorous as, as Saransk. But um, yeah, but you can oh, follow. Oh dear lord! <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Twitter, uh, Russian Tim sixty one, and um, Instagram Rocket from Russia. And yeah, I just I just focused on this uh, last three final games for my uh, beloved club, and hopefully we make it to the Champions League. That's my uh, goal for the rest of the season. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, Spartak back in the Champions League. I think that'd be fantastic for Russian football and we love covering them. So fingers crossed that happens. Um, yeah, that's it, boys. You, you can find this podcast and all the other podcasts, of course, on Acast. 
You can also find us on iTunes. And of course, we always tweet it out at Football Grad Live. We also put them on the homepages. This one is on footballgrad.com. You can find the gegenpressing on fußballstadt.com. Golazzo is on footballsidage.com. Um, if you have any questions, please um, contact us. Or me personally, I'm on Twitter at Manuel Weff. You can, of course, send us questions to our Twitter account at Football Grad Live. Or um, email us, contact at footballgrad.com. Well, that's it. Until next week, das wird dann hier. Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.